Welcome, friends, to The Word is Resistance, a podcast of showing up for racial justice, or surge. This is the podcast where we explore the weekly Christian scripture readings with an eye toward racial justice and collective liberation. My name is Nicola Torbett. I use she and her pronouns, and I'm recording this here in what is now known as Oakland, California. This is the unceded homelands of the Ohlone people, who are still very much here and active and taking leadership in this movement town. This podcast, as many of you know, is aimed at white Christians like me who want to respond to the call to dismantle white supremacy. We recognize that as white Christians, we have our own particular work to do, that it is our responsibility to learn how to resist the forces of white Christian supremacy from which we've benefited and with which we are otherwise complicit. We are seeking to find and uproot white supremacy, settler colonialism, ableism, and other forms of oppression wherever they show up, including in our own Christian tradition. We are defecting from the systems, structures, ideologies, and habitual ways of being that uphold supremacy of all kinds. And in their shell, we are building up a new world. That's also the song you are hearing throughout this podcast. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the freedom movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December, 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use this song for our podcast. So here we are in the final week of the Advent season Advent being church lingo for the run-up to Christmas, but also a time for sacred slowness, stillness, and inward reflection at the darkest time of the year. In a lot of churches, the four Sundays of Advent have themes, hope, peace, joy, and finally this week, love. It's love week. Love at the darkest and most mysterious and fertile time of the year. What does it mean for love to rupture into our times amidst so much vitriol and violence? What is the work we must do to prepare to welcome new life? Our scripture this week is Matthew 1, 18-25, in which Joseph's life is turned upside down and inside out by a dream and a message from an angel. The thing about angels, as we see over and over again in scripture, is that they come from outside of history and therefore outside the self-perpetuating coping mechanisms our ancestors and we have developed to cope with all that we have suffered and all the harm we have done to others and ourselves. The angels come from outside that system. Joseph gets a message that ruptures into his common sense understanding of the world and into ours. And that message points to an even more seismic rupture that is on its way. Here's Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 25. 
Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. That's our scripture. Joseph was planning to dismiss Mary quietly. He was going to dismiss her quietly. And this plan marks Joseph actually as one of the good ones. He could have done much worse. The punishment for having sex outside of marriage was stoning. Nothing like a rock to the head to make quiet dismissal look good. The scripture said Joseph was a righteous man. He didn't want to shame Mary or subject her to potential violence, so he planned to dismiss her quietly. In reality, it would have been a kinder and gentler death blow. To abandon a single woman, pregnant, not a virgin, and so not a desirable marriage prospect, and in the eyes of the community, a sinner, because, you know, pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Come on. So Joseph would be dismissing Mary to extreme precarity. But still, he would have remained a righteous man. His honor would have been preserved. He would have done nothing wrong in the eyes of his culture. His decision made perfect sense. There are a lot of decisions that I make every day that are completely understandable, totally common sense within this culture, that subject other people to extreme precarity here and around the world. People who are not my problem, not my responsibility, who maybe even in the eyes of the culture brought their suffering on themselves because you know they chose to come to this country illegally, I hope you can hear the air quotes, or they chose to dress in a way that invited violence, or they chose to use a substance as a way to numb the pain of being alive in this loveless world. So they are most certainly not my problem. I dismiss them quietly. I am a righteous person, even a compassionate person, but this, this is not mine to involve myself in. Joseph is completely justified, I get it, and had he dismissed Mary quietly, he wouldn't have done anything wrong, not as an individual at least. But this is where individualism leads us astray, because none of us is making decisions unconstrained by the conditions, good or bad, created by the collective, 
you, me, everyone else, and all our ancestors, not to mention every other creature that has ever lived, and so our lives are irreversibly, inextricably bound up in one another. And not all of us have had equal power in creating those conditions. That's the thing about dismissing someone, quietly or otherwise. It's a power move. No one can dismiss anyone unless they have the power to do so. That also means that we can sometimes refuse to grant others the power to dismiss us, like that parable about the widow who kept petitioning the judge for justice until finally, worn down, he gave in. But the consequences for refusing to be dismissed, often they are serious. And they are almost always more serious for those with less systemic power. Here in Oakland, white activists who commit civil disobedience almost always face fewer consequences than black activists who take similarly disruptive actions. Still, in 2022, in the so-called progressive Bay Area. If Joseph was a carpenter from Nazareth, he was not a particularly powerful guy within that culture. In fact, the term carpenter might give us the wrong idea. Think not Geppetto, the entrepreneurial artisan creator of Pinocchio, but Joe, the construction worker, maybe even a day laborer from Nazareth, almost certainly on the lower end of the socioeconomic hierarchy. And yet, Patriarchy granted Joseph the power to dismiss Mary, quietly or not, and if he did it quietly, he got to remain in the eyes of his culture a righteous and honorable man, one of the good ones. And of course, I am thinking about white liberal and progressive people and how whiteness enables us to be perceived as compassionate and righteous if we don't do the worst that is available to us if we aren't like those other truly racist and hateful people, and all the while we are quietly dismissing people and more than human beings who are at risk. I say all of this not to send us into shame. These are not individual failings. We are all trying to survive intact in a culture that is built on lovelessness. It's love week, so let's turn now to love and lovelessness, and Joseph's incredible disruptive dream. was invited this week to give the homily at the Advent Political Vespers, an online gathering convened by the Daniel Berrigan Collective for Contemplation, Community, and Resistance, and co-sponsored by Kirkridge Retreat and Study Center. It was really a treat to prepare a homily for folks who explicitly wanted to think about the gospel in political terms. As we know, that's not always the case preaching in our churches. Anyway, I found myself, as I prepared, thinking about this thing Alice Walker wrote years ago, back in, 20, in 2008, actually, at the tail end of the Bush years, and in the run-up to the election of Barack Obama. She said that we in the United States have not had leaders who loved us. We have not been loved well 
She said that instead of leaders who loved us, we have had leaders who loved nothing, not even themselves. And I got to thinking about how true that is and why that is and how that has kept us creating and recreating a loveless country. We are downstream in this country from huge destructive traumas that have never been allowed to heal, that have instead been acted out over and over again as we continually re-traumatize each other. Dr. Joy DeGruy has written about the way that the trauma of enslavement has been passed down through the generations as what she calls post-traumatic slave syndrome, impacting African-descended children at the most intimate level. My friend Zan West and I have had a number of conversations about the corollary post-traumatic slaveholder syndrome and the callousness and dissociation that has been passed down in white slaveholding families and in the lovelessness and dysfunction that has bred. This is still to say nothing of the moral injuries incurred by settlers who participated in genocidal wars. What does that do to the soul? Or by soldiers who fought their own family members in the Civil War, or by those drafted or enlisted to fight imperial wars overseas, or by police officers tasked with enforcing a racist and inequitable status quo. We are swimming in undigested, unhealed, unacknowledged trauma, and the result is a loveless culture where, at best, we dismiss endangered people quietly. We love nothing, nothing, not even ourselves. And we can't love ourselves well because we can't feel. We can't bear to feel what we are doing, what we have been a part of, and what has been passed down to us. We all know what it feels like to be dismissed quietly in a loveless culture. In the 15-minute doctor's appointment allotted by your HMO, where the overtasked doctor never looks you in the eye and handles your body like a car part on an assembly line. In the office of the Department of Motor Vehicles, where you get to the front of the line after an hour only to find out that you filled out Form 1133 instead of Form 1133A, and yes, you do need to return to the end of the line no matter how soon you have to pick up your kid, or at the county services office where the overworked social worker tells you you almost but not quite qualify for help and know there is nothing she can do. Lovelessness, not individual, not the fault of these individual providers, systemic lovelessness, continually created and recreated by we who have not been loved well. This lovelessness is historic. It is ancestral. It has been passed down to us. It is rare for me to feel a strong affinity for the Apostle Paul, but looking at all of this, I find myself wondering with him, who will deliver us from this body of death? But 2,000 years ago, Joseph had a dream. Joseph had a dream, and in it an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to do this ridiculous thing, to marry a woman who believes she has been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Do not be afraid to love this human being in front of you and the one in her womb who is called God is with us. 
In this I hear the angels saying, we know this makes no sense to you within any of the frameworks you have been taught. This talk of, say, prison abolition, or a world without police, or housing as a human right and not for profit, or hashtag land back, or reparations for enslavement. We know that you have no way of understanding the land or the water as living spirits capable of love and being loved. We know that you have been taught to dismiss the woman raving on the corner about having been impregnated by love itself and preparing to give birth to something never before seen. We know this is not the beautiful life you had planned for yourself. We know this means a hundred varieties of social death for you. In fact, Joseph, humble beneficiary of patriarchy, you don't know the half of it. You don't know that you're going to have to leave everything and flee the country, that this child will barely take his first steps before he becomes a wanted man, that this child you will come to love will die the most violent death imaginable, and that this whole process will shatter you, as all love eventually will, so long as we live in this loveless and terrifying world. Oh, Joseph, do not be afraid. It is true, assisting in this birth will break you. It will break your heart open and it will hurt because love enters this world amidst pain with such terrible tenderness and horrific vulnerability. And this tenderness and vulnerability never goes away. That is the great secret patriarchy and white supremacy wish to deny. We walk this world in soft and failing bodies amidst other soft and failing bodies. And we can leverage supremacy systems to pretend that is not true, but if we do that, we will miss the birth and we will die anyway. Looking out at this historic moment of imminent change, my mentor, the Reverend Lenise Pinkard, once said, the life for which you had been so carefully prepared is being taken away from you by the grace of God. Thanks be to God. This new life is not going to look like what we thought. And for those of us who are white or men or wealthy or in any way privileged, it's going to seem out of control and mostly wrongheaded. It will go against all that we have been taught and all the common sense we have developed in order to live in this loveless world because we are headed somewhere new. We are headed for love. Friends, the love, the tenderness that will both take away life as we know it and save us from the collective body of lovelessness is even now coming into the world. If you look, I think you will see its head cresting. You will feel the birth pains in your own body. And if you pay attention, if you can be honest with yourself, you will see that your body knows what to do. Love is rupturing in. Let's not miss it. Amen. As we wait in fertile darkness this week for love to be born again, let's be listening for the angels to whisper our instructions.
remembering that we are not individually called to everything. The trauma is collective and the healing work is collective, and we are each uniquely suited to particular roles. I've shared before on this podcast that my experience growing up with an alcoholic parent makes it difficult for me to serve people who are using substances, not because there is anything wrong with them, there isn't, but because I have wounds they are likely to brush, and that will make me less balanced. So the angels are probably not going to whisper to me to organize in bars, but they might whisper ways for me to support those who are doing that work. They might whisper ways I can support those who support those folks who are doing that work. So that's your call to action this week, and it's really a call to listening. Yes, I said it. Your call this week is to hear the angel voices and be blessed by the birth of something new, love coming into the world once again. That's our episode for this week. We'd love to hear what you think of it and of the work we're doing here generally. What are you making of all this? How are your own movement struggles unfolding? And what are you learning from that? You can comment on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages, or you can fill out the survey on our podcast page at surge.org. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you check out this podcast. You can find out more about Surge at surge.org. That's S-U-R-J dot org. That's also where you can sign up for Surge Faith updates and find transcripts for every episode, which include references, resources, and action links. We appreciate your feedback very much and are especially eager to hear from BIPOC folks, people with disabilities, and people who are not Christian. How are we doing? What's working and what's not? We love your input. Finally, we want to thank our sound editor for this week, Claire Hitchens, who took time out of her Christmas week to prepare this episode. Thank you so much, Claire. That's it for now, friends. So many blessings to you for grounded accountability, deep transformation, and loving connection as we build up a new world. Until next time, I'm Nicola Torbett. Yeah.